loved about that is that we were laughing because A, it was very funny. And he had been on, he had been turned up the whole road trip. I mean, he was doing this over and over with this song, you know. But it was so funny. But then it was kind of funny. You ever have that laugh that is embarrassing? Yeah. I wasn't embarrassed of him. I was embarrassed because I started asking myself the question, do you love God? And my heart started answering, and it wasn't answering what I wanted it to answer because my head tells me I love God. I show up to church. I am a tither. I've been a tither since I was 14 years old. In my mind, I love God. But my heart was not quite answering it to the degree I wanted to. And, and, and I, I, I started thinking, hmm, at the seat of who I am, at the core of who I am, at the, the place of my motivations, my heart, that part, when God looks at my heart, when he looks at the core, does he see someone who is consumed with him? Or does he just see a consumer of goods? Does he see someone who just chases him? Or does he compete for other people and other, and other things in my life? Is he the chief reason and motivation of my heart? And I have to honestly say, sometimes he is. And sometimes he's not. And I did not want to admit that to myself because, hey, I'm a pastor, man. I'm supposed to love God all the time, 100%. But I'm telling you that there's sometimes I, I mean, I love my kids. I love my husband. I love this church. I love my call. And there's nothing wrong with loving those things. But it becomes wrong when I love them more than God. When I begin to seek to please my daughter's dreams more than the dream of God. When I seek to please my husband more than I am to please God. If I please God first, everyone else will work out. But I find that there are times I am rushing out and I am making sure I'm at that soccer game. But did I take time to talk to God? But I'm yelling at the game. Go heaven. Go this. But did I yell for God? Did I, was I bold enough to drive through a drive through and say, do you love God? I love God. Did I have that kind of courage? Did my, was my heart filled? And I, and I, and I want to talk to us about that today. What's at our core? What's at the core? So if you would turn with me to Joshua 22, 22, 20, uh, verse 5. Joshua 22, verse 5. And it says this, but take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord charged you to love the Lord, your God, and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave to him and to serve him with how much all your heart and with all your soul. I find that I can chase my call more than the one who called me. And it's a sad confession that I can invest much more time in preparing a message than I did in just practicing his presence. 
Some of us do that on work. We know the project is coming up. We know the client is going to be here. And we do everything to make sure that's ready. But our heart was never made ready before that. We never did what was necessary to say, God, you are the motivation of my life. You know, and at times I find that the center of who I am is wrapped up in how significant I really am to others, not how significant I am to God. And the cry of my heart sometimes runs away from him instead of runs to him, especially when I do something wrong. It may not happen to you, but I'm saying that I have learned this truth and I am trying to find a way of how to make this more real and more relevant in my Christian life. And hopefully you will learn it too. Then this is the principle that my core charts my course. My core charts my course. The motivations of my heart, they're visible to God and he's extremely concerned with it. Another way I can put it is saying my passions determine my pursuits. What I'm passionate about is going to determine what I'm pursuing, what I'm actively going after. What I love is going to be evident in how I live. My life will reflect what I love. I remember a long time ago, we were maybe married um, four years, five years, I'm not even sure. But we were going through a very tough time because my husband had gotten in a car wreck. And when we had gotten into the car wreck, he had injured his back. And when he had injured his back, a lot of things spiraled out of that. Any of you ever been injured, you know it's different. And if you have a back injury, two herniated, two bulging discs at the same time, it's an issue. And we've been married 21 years, but it's been 16 years that he's dealt with this issue. So we've dealt with this issue more than we have not. But when we were first dealing with this issue, he, it was really, really bad. He could not work. He was on disability. Then they cut his disability and then our credit started going down because our money was going down. And then we, you know, things started happening. I remember he had a birthday and we just didn't have the money for all that celebration. But you know what? I took my jewelry and I pawned it because I wanted him to know I loved him. And I was willing to make the sacrifice and everybody knew That the evidence of my love was a sacrifice I was willing to make. Because my motivation of my heart was him at that time. He was consuming my thoughts at that time. I wanted to celebrate him. I wanted to acknowledge him. I wanted to praise him. And so because the love of my heart was fully towards him, then it followed through in my life. It followed through in my actions. It's like when I first got born again. Oh my gosh. I was so grateful that God would save somebody like me. Why would he save me? The background I came from. The family I came from. We don't have this deep, long spiritual lineage. I'm not the child of a pastor's pastor, pastor. I don't have all that amazing stuff. I have sex, drugs, and rock and roll in my background. That's it. And you want to use me? God, you have lost your mind. Oh, but I lived on my knees. Oh, Jesus, please. Just I trust you in my heart. I trust you for my food today. I trust you for my life. This was my life. 
And I look back and I go, God, now that you've blessed me, have I forgotten you? Now that it's not so tough and I don't have to believe for daily bread. Do I still have that passion for you? Now that I don't have to, to wonder about my light bill. Or I don't have to worry about, are we going to find a job? Now that I'm not in that kind of stress. Is my passion and the core of who I am still motivated 100% by you? I ask you the same question. I want to talk to you about Acts 13, verse 22 to 23. This is so important to God. The core, the core, the motivation of our heart. It says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David. A man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised savior of Israel. I want to talk to you about David for a second. Israel was a nation who did not have a natural king. God was their king. And they kind of got fed up with that. They wanted to be like everybody else. Everybody has a king, God. Some people have a pharaoh. We want a king. Give us a king. And so God said, okay, you know what? I'm going to give you a king. And Saul was anointed king. He was the first king. David was the second king. Well, what ended up happening is that when David was called, David was a shepherd. And he spent many, many, many days in an insignificant space. He was so separated from his brothers that when it was time to be anointed, he wasn't even there with the family. Everyone was right there. He was not. He was over there with the sheep doing stuff nobody knew about, nobody cared about. But do you know that David penned over 75 Psalms? We get a look into his prayer life. We know what his heart was consumed with because he talked to us and told us so much about what he dealt with. Psalm 23 was written there. Before David was king, he was a worshiper as a shepherd. And he said, for the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. David was a man whose heart was consumed with God. When it says it was a man after my own heart, it doesn't mean his heart was just like God. It means his heart was after God. It ran after God. It wouldn't let up. It sought him. It, it was consumed with him. He was his focus. David filled his core with the craving of the presence of God. He was a musician and a writer. And the Bible says God found him. Now, don't you think God has a GPS on all of us? Why would the Bible have to say God found him? And when he found him, he said, that guy... He will do whatever I ask. That's the qualification. When my heart is after God, he can trust I will do whatever he asks. But you know, the Bible tells us that, that those who love their lives shall lose it. And those who are willing to lose it shall find it. I know for me, sometimes I think, oh my gosh, if I lost something in my life, it would, I, I'm, sometimes I am not ready to go to heaven. My husband preaches it all the time. When he's in a, at a going home service, he'll say, everyone talks about heaven, but nobody's in a rush to get there. I, uh, that's, that would be me right there. Lord Jesus, just make it happen peacefully for me. Like when I'm a ripe old age, and let all the angels just sing me in. I, I just want to feel no pain. I, you know, I, I'm adverse to suffering. <laughs> but my heart should say, God, whatever you want. 
am willing. Hmm. God found David because he was chasing after him. God was not chasing after the good things and in praising God. God was chasing, David was chasing after God and then the good things came. You know, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added onto us. And we don't know when we slip over into seeking those things and not seeking God. I know I've done it. I've been in positions, like I said, in those tough times. And I look at my friend and look at the next person and go, boy, I wish I was, you know, I had what they had and I wish I could do that. I mean, and I would get over into envy and get over into lusting after their stuff and, and all my heart just get off. I know that don't happen to you. I'm just telling you about me. And then you find out, you know, it's only a matter of time. If you stay faithful to the Lord, he'll add that stuff to you. And when you know when you get the stuff, it means nothing to you. Because you can't take it anywhere. I can only wear one pair of shoes at a day. (laughs) It becomes very insignificant. When your heart is consumed with God, the stuff becomes very insignificant. Or core beams to God every day, all day. Okay, check this scripture out here in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Can we talking about David? Talking about David. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his statue, because I have refused him. He was talking about David's brother. For the Lord seeth not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I know there are times that we do something wrong and then we say, the Lord knows my heart. Well, honey, let me just tell you. Uh, The Bible also said the heart is exceedingly wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? So when you you and I say, oh, the Lord knows my heart, that's our justification to say, well, you know, no, no, I didn't mean it. Uh, No, you meant it. You, You meant it. I mean, it's okay, just own it and say, you know, I didn't mean, I, I, I did want her to trip. I did want her to trip. I wanted her to trip. It wasn't right, but I wanted her to trip. Jesus, forgive me for wanting her to trip. Forgive me for making, you know, wishing my boss tower would just get flat in the middle of 20 and nobody be there to help her. You know, forgive me, Jesus. Because if not, you just pile up, pile up, and then one day you're the person slashing the tires because you snapped. <laughs> the beautiful thing about David is, In every season of his life, he trusted God. He ran after God. As a shepherd, he wrote Psalm 23. When Saul wanted to kill him because Saul had gotten jealous of David and Saul started hunting David down, he wrote Psalm 59. When he had to hide among the enemy, you know, he had beaten the the Philistines, but he was in such a a state running away from Saul. He, He hid among his enemies. He wrote Psalm 56. There was a time that Saul was looking for David and he got so angry that he killed 85 priests and their families. And David was so in such despair. He wrote Psalm 52. There was a time he won a battle against the Philistines and another time as a king. He wrote Psalm 60. When he committed adultery and committed murder, setting the guy up to fail, he wrote Psalm 51, asking the Lord to forgive him. When he made plans to build God's house, he wrote Psalm 30, even though he knew he himself would never build it, it would be his son. What am I showing you? From the time he was a shepherd to the time he died a king, David still ran after God. 
even though he wasn't perfect, even though he didn't make all the right choices, God did not look at his sin as much as he looked at the center. And did David pay consequences? Absolutely. But did he run away? No, he ran back to God. He went on his knees and he said, God, forgive me when he did something wrong and, and, and God forgave him. And I'm saying to you, when the tough stuff comes, we like to run away. But that's not what we are on our core. We're designed to be worshippers. We have the same call as David does. No matter what, God's presence is worth more than the presence we want from him. David lived as though God was real. Real right there. He didn't live as just that like God loved him. Because that's how a lot of us live. God's blessed me. I am blessed and highly favored, girl. I'm above only and not beneath. We live as though, though we know God loves us. But he lived as though he loved God. And it became evident to everyone he encountered. David ran after the Ark of the Covenant. He ran after and sought that thing and celebrated when the presence of the Lord came back into Israel. Are you celebrating? Am I celebrating the presence of God in our house? Are we celebrating the presence of God in our heart? Are we celebrating the presence of God in our workplace? Where is God on the Richter scale of our lives? We have the same call. The Bible says it here in Revelation 4, 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things. And for your pleasure, they are and were created. For the pleasure of God are we created. He created us for his pleasure. We are here to delight God. And he delights in the prosperity of his people, but he delights more in our presence. When we talk to him, when we seek him, when we listen to him, when we say, be still my heart. When we say, God, fill me. Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Which deal should I go after today? When I consult him, when I involve him, this is how I fill my core with my focus on God. We are created to worship. And if we're not worshiping God, we are worshiping something else. Hands down, 10 times out of 10. When I begin to be more concerned, like I said, about another area in my life so much, I don't even consult God, involve God. I have now moved over and my core, but that's why I get anxious. That's why you fret. That's why we get nervous. Because our heart is not full of chasing God. Because when we chase God, we know that nothing is impossible for them that believe. We know that we can do all things through Christ. There is a strength that comes into our heart. That's why David said that who can stand before the Lord? David was able to say in the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil because I am 100% sure. My heart has chased this God and this God delivered me when I had a bear to fight and this God delivered me when a lion came at me. This God I learned as a shepherd. Oh, this God in the valley of the shadow of death. I will not fear because he is with me. He's my rod and he's my staff. When Absalom is coming against me, oh God, you will scatter my enemies. This is David. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. This is David saying, my heart is full. I have nothing to fear. What can man do to me? His heart was full of God. Some things get into our heart. And if they get into our heart, they'll rot us to the core. I'm going to take the next five minutes and run through this. Look at Saul. I'm going to talk to you about Saul. Saul was the first king. He was chosen. And in 1 Samuel 15, God had given Saul a specific, a specific instruction to go ahead and kill the Amalekites. He said, get rid of everything. Get rid of the cows, the cattle, the sheep. Get rid of it all because they treated Israel so bad when they came out of Egypt. I want you to take vengeance on them and get rid of them all. And Saul didn't do that. What Saul did was he kept some of the sheep and he kept some of the clothes and all the good things he kept, you know, and, 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 and he kept the king alive. And when Samuel came to him and said, hey, what do you do? He said, oh no, I obeyed the Lord. You know, I obeyed the Lord. I killed the people. I did all that stuff. And, and, and Samuel talked to him again and said, what did you do? And he said, no, I obeyed the Lord. And then Samuel said, what is this bleating of the sheep I hear? And, Sa- and, and Saul said, oh, no, wait, it's the people, though. The people. The people, they wanted to keep the stuff, so, so they did it. And, and Samuel looked at him and said this, 1 Samuel fifteen eleven. Uh, God said first, it repents to me that I've set up Saul to be king, for he's turned back from following me and he has not performed my commandments. Remember, we read earlier that David was a man after God's own heart because he said he would do what I ask him. Well, now he's talking about Samuel and he says, it, it, it repents me, it bothers me that I set this man up to be king because he's turned away from me. So it's possible that we can turn away from the Lord. Verse 17, and Samuel said, when you were little in your own sight, Weren't you not made the head of the tribe and the Lord anointed you king? Verse 23, because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. My husband says this all the time. Half obedience is still disobedience. How, how did you and I pursue God when we were small in our own eyes? When we didn't have enough? When we didn't have nothing but God? When all, when all we could believe for was God? How how did we pursue him? When we were small in our own eyes. And that's what he said. When you were small in your own eyes, Saul, and you trusted me, I elevated you. But now you're doing well. Now you're getting, you know, promotions. Now you're getting awards, Saul. Now the people like you, Saul. Now everybody's looking at you and going, go, Saul, go, Saul, yay. Now that's happening. And you're believing your own press. You have turned your heart away from me and you're not obeying my commandments. Disobedience contaminates the core and it pauses the pursuit. Disobedience, it will rot us to the core. Let's talk about my other guy. I love him. His name is Jonah. And you know, with Jonah, we sing the song, in the belly of the whale, 
Three whole days in the belly of the whale. This is not a strong tale. Jonah was in the belly of a whale. <laughs> so we know Jonah was in the belly of a, of a fish, a big fish, be it a whale or a giant Moby Dick shark or I don't know, whatever. However, let's talk about Jonah. Jonah was his prophet in Israel. And God had told him, go to Nineveh and tell Nineveh they need to repent. Jonah didn't want to do it. Jonah didn't want to do it because Nineveh was an enemy of Israel. And he did not want, he would rather them die. He wanted a doom and gloom message, kill our enemies. But God said, do it. He didn't do it. Went on the boat. The boat started tossing. The storm started coming. Fell over, you know, they cast lots. He said, throw me into the water. The fish comes up, swallows Jonah. Three days later, Jonah spat out. He comes on the shore. He comes back and and says, I'm going to do what God says, right? All that time that Jonah was fighting, doesn't mean his heart was bad. I'm going to show you where his heart went bad. So he came back and he says to Nineveh, in 40 days, in 40 days, God's going to wipe you out. Going to wipe you out. And they say, oh no. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They begin to return their monies back to each other. They repent. Not just in heart, but they had fruits of repentance. They started doing the right thing. And God said, I am not going to destroy them. And Jonah said, back up. Hold on. You need to destroy them. These are our enemies. Jonah was angry and disappointed with God that God didn't do it the way he wanted it to done. He got so frustrated. He told God, this is what he said. He gave God a piece of his mind. I knew you would do this. That's why I didn't want to do it in the first place. Read it in the book of Jonah. He was like, why do you send me? I knew your heart is compassionate and you would have turned your heart. That's why it was wasting my time. Gave him an earful. And then he began to soak. And got so frustrated, he removed himself from Nineveh and built him a tent upon the hill. And decided, I don't even want to be here with all these people. Forget it. His disappointment with God that God didn't do it how he wanted, when he wanted. Disappointment will get into your core. Such a disappointment that God sent this big gourd or big plant to shade Jonah in the sun. But then this worm came and ate on the plant. And Jonah started going, oh, I wish the gourd was here. I feel so bad that the big plant is gone. And this is what God said to him. You had more compassion on a plant rather than you did for the people when they repented to me. Your heart is off, Jonah. And Jonah never, you never hear anything about Jonah after that. He dies separated on a hill away because he didn't handle disappointment properly. He didn't do like what David did and came back into the Lord. He just made it fall through, go through. The last thing here, so you have disobedience and disappointment. Well, disappointment unchecked will make you miss your appointment with God. So don't, don't let disappointment just stay like that. Let's talk about this. Um, discouragement. In Psalm 52, David's friend betrayed him. He told him where, told Saul where he was. And David was so discouraged about it, he wrote a whole psalm on Psalm 52. But instead of him being like Jonah and being like Saul, he ends the song in praise. He ends the psalm praising God and saying, I'm like a tree planted by the waters. I'm an olive plant that will not fail. David said, no matter what happens, I am not going to be moved because I know your heart towards me, God. 
discouragement, disappointment, disobedience. These can cloud up our heart. What does it look like then to chase God, to lean into him, to pursue him? It was obvious that everybody loved God, that David loved God. Is it obvious that every, to everybody that you love God? That I love God. You know why? Because friends don't let friends go to hell. My friend Cindy said that. And I thought that was so good. If I love God so much and he loves people, I'm going to let my friend go to hell. I sit in a cubicle with them every single day. I go to the gym and work out with them. I have lunch and never tell them about this great God. My heart's not full. My heart's not chasing. My heart's not passionate. My heart's not pursuing because everywhere David went, everybody knew that David served the living God. He knew it so much that he danced out of his clothes one day and was naked and his wife said, you're embarrassing me. That you would worship God so much. And he said, what? The presence of God is in Israel? This is, I would be more than naked for the presence of God. What are you and I going to do? To capture that presence. I, I was so motivated when Pastor drove through that Sonic. Because I said, yeah, that's a man that loves God right there. He don't care. And I tell you, he doesn't care. I have seen him minister to people at the gas station and lead them to Jesus. At the gas station, y'all. That kind of courage, that kind of confidence, that kind of love for God, that you don't care if somebody sees you praying at the gas station with somebody, doesn't see, care if you go to the Sonic line, they know him at Sonic. Now they know me at a couple of places, but they don't know me like that. No. I got to go back and repair some things. I'm like, why am I order not right? I ordered three eggplants. You only gave me two. That, 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 they don't feel the love of the passion of God. They, mm, mm, I, I'm going to have to make some rounds. But like I said, this message was for me first. So hello. <laughs> what does it look like? In the end, we're born to worship. We're created to worship. We're designed to chase after God. And if we chase after him... He will have those blessings chase us down. But we can't be in it for the blessing. We have to be in it for him. We have to entertain him. Long for him. Just be full of him. And get rid of the contaminants. The disappointments. The hurts. The disobedience. A heart that chases after God at the core it does and it demonstrates. It declares. It declares and it demonstrates. It declares and it demonstrates. Psalm 145 verse 21 says, I will speak of the Lord. Some of you may not know what that means. It means like, Father, you're so good to me. I thank you for your words. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for Jesus. God, you have saved me. I, I, I was sinking and you have raised me up father i sing of your praises because you're awesome you're wonderful and there's none like you in the heavens and none like you in the earth lord you're magnificent lord you're worthy god i love you
That's what it means. When it says, I will speak of the Lord. Psalm 47, 1 says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God. And that looks like this. Lord, you're magnificent. God, I applaud you. I applaud you in my life. Oh, you're worthy, God. You're wonderful, Jesus. Oh, there is none like you, Lord. I will shout with a voice of triumph. Lamentations 341 says, Let us lift up our voice with our hands unto God in the heavens. We lift up our hands. That's what a worshiper looks like. When you're in worship, you can't not lift your hands up because you're born to worship. You're born to surrender. You go, God, I am small and you are big. I am nothing and you're everything. I decrease so you can increase God. You're worthy, Jesus. Oh, you're worthy, God. That's what a worshiper looks like. Psalm 95 verse 6 says this. Let us bow down and kneel before the God our maker. Oh God. Oh, you're worthy, Jesus. Oh, you're worthy, God. Oh, there's none like you. I'm unashamed, God. I will praise you. I will worship you. I will adore you, God. I give you my life. I give you my heart. How will our hearts turn towards God this week? Let's just start right now. If you would just stand. Let's begin today. How many of you feel that we can fill our hearts a little more? How many of you know we can worship God a little more? How many of you will take the challenge this week and say, God, somebody will know I love you. Somebody will know I worship you. We're going to take a moment and just, and just sing unto God. And take this chance to declare and kneel and raise our hands and clap and dance. God, we repent. We repent for letting other things come into our heart. We repent for letting discouragement and disappointment and disobedience run us to our core. But God, we come to you like David. We say, cleanse us like Ipsom. Cleanse us, God. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me, God. Oh, we worship you, Lord. Oh, we bless your name. I give you all of me. Say, I give you all of me. I
submission as a sign that I give up God Father we, we give up we give up trying to run our own lives we give up trying to control everything around us we give up Father being frustrated with things not being the way we want them we give up God and when we give up God we give it to you you said be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving you said let our requests be made known unto you so Lord we we give up this morning we surrender we surrender right now hallelujah Come on, I just want you to just take a minute right now. Hallelujah. Father, we decree now. You said if we draw close to you, you will draw close to us. So, Father, we are drawing closer even now. We let go of the issues and we let go of the frustrations and we let go of the disappointments and we let go of all, all the discouragement. And God... We yield to you and we thank you for being who you are, for being a great God, for being a good God, for being a loving God, for being a merciful God, for being a God that is more than enough, for being a God that heals us when we're sick. Thank you, Lord. If you're here this morning, if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life,